Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and I'm with Charles Bryant, and uh, we're doing Stuff You Should Know today. Oh, yeah? Yep. Not the other one. Stuff You Should Not Know. Nothing You Should Know. <laughs> yeah, we're out there inspiring podcasts. Yeah, who? Some, we heard about that today, right? Someone started a podcast. In the Illinois Valley. Nice. I don't know where that is. I don't think it's Illinois, though. But they wrote about it in the paper, right? Yeah, they got it right up in the paper. Pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, before we get started, buddy, okay. we need to announce our upcoming New York trip Yeah, and trivia night. Yeah, we talked to um, Mayor Bloomberg, and he <laughs> uh, he said that Friday, October 12th, 2012, is Stuff You Should Know Day in the five boroughs of New York City. That's right. Yeah. And we will be presented a, uh, not a key to the city, but a, a key yeah. card to our hotel, at <laughs> least. It's a set of lockpicks to the city. That's right. And uh, so we're coming for Comic-Con. Yeah. Uh, if you have a Comic-Con pass, you can come see his podcast live. And uh, we're, we're going to have details on like what room and what time and everything. Yeah. Plus, it's cheap, even if you don't have a pass, like, like date. Passes are not expensive. Okay. Yeah. That's good Even in this economy, it's it's value. It's still good. <laughs> so we're going to be podcasting live during the day on Friday, and um, you can check out Facebook and Twitter for info on exactly where and when. And then that night, yeah, another Stuff You Should Know Trivia Night, which was a huge success. Huge success in yeah. New York last year. So it's, sorry, it's two years ago, right? Yeah, two years ago. Yeah. Uh, about this time, too. I think it was October, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a whole day, a whole day of your life in New York City, packed with stuff you should know, featuring Chuck and myself. So this is going to be great. Uh, and I know it's just me, but I like saying myself. <laughs> um, and we're going to have details for sure on that. We're locking down the venue, hopefully as we speak, and um, locking down our all-star celebrity trivia team as we speak. Yes. If you're out there and you're an all-star celebrity and yeah. you want to play with us. I think that's a great call out, Chuck. Hit us up. Yep. We're still uh, assembling our team. Yeah. A couple of the, the stalwarts are going to be out of town, which is disappointing. <laughs> so we're looking for, for comers, as it were. Yes, as it were. <laughs> and we're also looking for comers to challenge us and, uh, and, and duke it out on the trivia floor. It's going to be fun. For free. That's right. And there will be adult libations yeah. involved. Yeah. If you're into that. Root beer, probably. If, if you're into that. Sure. And, uh, that's about it. Anything else? I think it's high time we started the uh, episode. Okay. Thank you for bearing with us, I guess, everyone. Yes. Uh, let's see, Chuck. I'm a little under the weather today. I know. I'm fighting I this. I just learned though. that. That's I'm sad. not, I'm not going to get sick. I'm just, it's like, man, that, that one day where it's like you're right before you're about to get better, the worst day, but yes. you're just not going to get sick. You know what I'm saying? So I don't have like five days of sickness ahead of me. I've got... Bagel days of sickness ahead of me. You're saying this like positive thoughts? Is that the deal? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I found that my mind-body connection is really, really strong, especially in the horrible way where I'm like, I'm not going to get sick. I wonder if I'm getting sick, though. Am I getting sick? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm sick. Right. It's like I just talked myself into getting sick. That's but not, it sounds okay. like you just talked yourself into getting well. So it's, I'm trying it out. It's mental gymnastics. Uh, sometimes it works. Yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, I, I guess let me just go ahead and start and get this one over with, okay? All right. I like this one. Yeah, not bad. You realize this is half of a, an article I sent you before that you you're like, no, nah, let's not do this one. Really? Yeah. The origin of life on Earth. 
But didn't we do that? No. We never did that. No. Well, there was a reason. Well, maybe we, it now, but. maybe we can do the other half. We'll do this as like part of a two-part suite about where life on Earth came from. Mars. Maybe. <laughs> there's another way, and this is my intro, there's another possible way, and it's something called abiogenesis. All right. And abiogenesis basically says that all the proteins needed to form RNA uh-huh. somehow were present in the early Earth in the primordial soup. Yeah, yeah. And somehow they came together in a structure... That was RNA. And RNA is a pretty specific, weird little thing in that it can not only replicate itself, it can make new stuff too. Wow. So it can build DNA, but it can also replicate itself. That sounds like something out of a Ridley Scott movie. Very much so. Yeah. And they think that RNA somehow came together and over the course of millions of years and all these different trials and errors, Mm -hmm. finally started to form DNA, which kick-started life. The origin of life was just a bunch of proteins that came together. There are a lot of reasons people poo-poo this. Sure. A lot of people, a lot of creationists say, hey, you know Occam's razor, which you scientists love so much? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's it or that somebody created us? Right. So uh, the abiogenesis hypothesis, maybe theory by now, uh, has kind of it has some holes in it, but it's really interesting. And we'll talk in depth about that in another one. Okay. This one is about the big rival to abiogenesis, and it's called panspermia, which is a pretty yeah. pretty neat name. What does that mean? Agree, uh, seeds everywhere? Yeah. Seeds everywhere. Yeah. They're just all over the place. Yeah. Panspermia. And it's from a, uh, a guy in 1906, Swede, uh, whose name is pretty awesome, uh, Svante Arrhenius. Yeah. Who wrote a book called Worlds in the Making, and he coined the term panspermia, but it was... Um, about 50 or so years, maybe 30 or so years before him, um, that the idea of panspermia was first put forth by Lord Kelvin. Yeah, the famous Lord Kelvin, British physicist Mega Lord famous. Kelvin. Mega famous. I mean, not many people get a temperature scale named after him. No. There's not just the Brian Kelvin, scale. Tommy Celsius. And Billy Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And Lord Kelvin. What a triumvirate that is. Uh so his idea was that seed-bearing meteorites, which is kind of where we are here with this, did we come from Mars? Potentially that these meteorites that had uh, life buried within them, or at the very least, you know, sitting on the surface. It had life there. Found its way to Earth, and that's where it all started. All right. And, and it's pretty cool to think that way back then they were thinking of this stuff. Back in the 1870s? Yeah, man. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, they're not super far off. The space elevator came from a Russian guy in 1880. That's true. People were thinking back then. Yeah. They'd had a lot of time to to, um, subjugate other cultures. May have been thinking even more, you know, because they didn't know as much. Right. All they did was sit around and think. Well, if the Olympics taught me anything, the opening ceremonies, it's that they had a lot more time to toil and think, and everything just got better after the sod was removed. When the Industrial Revolution came about, you think that got better? I think it got worse. Oh, I, I seem. It seemed to me that it was uh, the the saving grace of um, of civilization was when the Industrial Revolution hit. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the opening ceremonies because <laughs> it got much worse after the Industrial Revolution. All of a sudden, 
people were texting each other on screen. And it was weird. There was like these little romance stories playing out on the field. Yeah. It got so odd. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, the Olympics had John Hodgman to defend it. He was the sole person to defend it on Twitter. Oh, was he? Yeah. Boy, good thing Twitter wasn't around during the Atlanta Olympics. Yeah, I don't remember that one, but Yumi was like, you don't remember the Atlanta oh, Olympics? It was so embarrassing. She was like, it was like Little Richard driving around in a truck or something. No, like we that. had stainless steel pickup trucks uh-huh. driving around. We had like line dancing and like <laughs> Georgia peaches. It was just like, oh man. But the point was, it was big. Yeah, it yeah. may have been gaudy, but it was big, right? No one could outdo Beijing. But they were saying they weren't even trying to do outdo Beijing. They were trying to do something different, but still, it, it missed. Yeah, agreed. thumbs down. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, getting back to it. Back to the uh, Victorian era um, and their their science thought. Uh, the <laughs> wow, we got so far off. It's rid- ridiculous. Right. Um, but the the point was the concept of panspermia is that the Earth, prior to the arrival of life, was like a uh, virgin petri dish. Yeah. And then there was some cosmic cough, and like a little bit of cosmic spittle, infected this petri dish, and all of a sudden, life took off. That's gross. Panspermia it used to have a more narrow definition back then, mm-hmm. but now it's been broadened out to the point where pretty much most scientists believe that. You can exchange life among bodies in our solar system. Like, it, it can happen. Yeah, well, it's yeah. It's been proven to happen. It was broader, right? Back it, in the day, it was broader. And then they, they were no, like, no, now it's broader. Back then, it was more specific. It was broad, narrow, and then went, it went back to the original broad yes. version now. Science yes. has started to kind of back up the, what was originally considered a flight of fancy. So what Lord Kelvin thought was that asteroids brought life to Earth. Yes. Um, and and probably from Mars, maybe elsewhere in the galaxy or elsewhere in the universe. Sure. But the point was they, they arrived via rock. Well, after uh, a few years of consideration, most people were like, that's not possible. Like an asteroid would basically ter- pulverize everything on it. Yeah. There's heat involved. There's no way. Sure. And so the uh, Swede comes along, Savante Arrhenius, and he says, no, these are just basically like little little microbes. Traveling between the planets, right? Yeah, it's like you don't even need the meteorite as the vessel. Right. This stuff is just going by, uh, what, starlight? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a simple way to put it, I guess. Electromagnetic energy? Yeah. In the other article, it said starlight, which yeah. sounds a little more fanciful. Or ether, I think they used to call it, too. Oh, really? Yeah. So, this is all great. And then we find out in 1975, <laughs> when we launched the Viking probes which to Mars, which I think we goofed on this before, right? The Viking name or something? Yeah, I seems think like it sounds familiar. Uh, Viking 1 touched down at uh, Chrysa Planitia. Viking 2 on Utopia Planitia. And interestingly, they took some, uh, some atmospheric readings, mm-hmm. and they found that the same stuff in the atmosphere of Mars was also contained inside these meteorites from the 1980s. Pretty cool. Right. Well, they, they, they figured out the... The signature of the atmosphere of Mars. And then they compared it. And it was the same. Right. And then they went back and said, well, wait a minute. Let's find out what other rocks have this specific unique signature that we can locate on Mars and say these are Mars meteorites. And they, I think they had like 50,000 of them? Uh, well, 53,000. Yeah, the ones they already had, they like looked back into them. And 104 of them came from yeah, Mars. No, that was kind of low, I thought. Yeah. 
I was a little disappointed. But the point is, is these things show that rocks can travel from Mars to Earth and survive intact. That was the big part of it. That's right. So you have a little bit of Lord Kelvin's original idea starting to come back into reality. Yeah. You know? Just good for him. He has a scale and everything, but... <laughs> they dug him up and shook his hand. <laughs> they did. Put him back. Uh, shall we move on to um, ALH84001? This is one of my favorite meteorites. <laughs> this one, you remember, this one like caused a huge stir. Like yeah. Clinton came out and uh-huh. was like, there's life on Mars. Like yeah. They found evidence. They found three different traces of what they considered, um, I guess, microbial fossils from Mars. And two of them were discounted, but another one was like a chain of magnetite that was arranged in such a way that it couldn't possibly have been created by anything but an organism. Right. Um, that I think the results are still out on that one. I don't. Th- the other two are like, no, no, it's definitely inorganic. But this one, the the jury's still out on whether it's possible it was created by some sort of organic life that basically excreted magnetite chains. Gross. Uh, so the cool thing about this is they studied, you know, years later, they, they've come up with all these different issues of why this might not be able to happen. One of them is the intense heat that would be generated. Could the meteorite survive it? Could might life on the meteorite or buried within it survive it? Yeah. And, uh, they studied at Caltech. Yes, Caltech. They studied ALH84001. Uh-huh. I wonder what they call it. Probably the Allen Hales, the Allen Hills meteorite. Yeah, probably so. Because that's where it was found. So they, ex- and that's what the ALH stands for. Yeah. Um. So they studied this and they they figured out that inside this thing, it actually never got hotter than 104 degrees, uh-huh. and they did this through magic, called <laughs> magnetic signature. They cut off a slice of it and found its magnetic signature. Uh couldn't heat beyond that. So that means it no, never just disappeared. Yeah, it never got hotter than 104 right. degrees. So that kind of put that one to bed. Yeah. So there's plenty of microbes that can survive temperatures of 103 or 104 degrees. Tons. In fact, I bet a, a lot of them love that kind of temperature. Love it. Yeah. They're called um retirees. That's right. <laughs> Uh, and then, so, so that backs up Kelvin a little bit. The fact that there's rocks that we can say definitely came from Mars, uh, back him up. Yes. Um, and then also getting back to the rocks coming from Mars, the possibility, the probability of one infecting the planet, you, I guess you could say the early planet, also came to be supported through further research. Um, some guys, uh, from NASA. Was it NASA? Yeah. They calculated that as many as 50 billion Martian rocks pummeled Earth in the first 500 years of the Earth's life. 50 billion 50 at about 20,000 hit Earth. A, no, 20,000 a decade. Oh, uh, no, within a decade. Right. Yeah. But over the first 500 million years while the Earth is cooling and the prior, just prior to the existence of life on Earth... 50 billion Mars rocks hit Earth. Right. Okay? So they're saying the rocks can survive. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of them. And we know that at least one traveled and did not heat up over 104 degrees. And the NASA dudes also said that basically our inner solar system all has sort of a similar suitable environment. So exchange of life 
then the inner solar system only is, you know, very much likely. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, the if daycare you, effect. If you look at Mars, the chance that Mars, um, can send a rock to Earth is way higher than, it's, it's pretty high, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you, if you go outside of our solar system, the chances start to plummet exponentially downward. Yeah. Um, to where if you go outside of our solar system, elsewhere in our galaxy. Yeah. Um, even in the Milky Way, the odds are like one in a billion that even a single rock could have hit Earth in its first 500 million years. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. But apparently, the interplanetary exchange between Mars and Earth is a lot more frequent than you'd think. Oh, yeah. We were also talking about how that 104-degree internal temperature, bacteria can survive that. Sure. Maybe even thrive. Yeah. Um, there are some bacteria, too, that have been studied that have been able to survive um, basically trips on satellites exposed to solar radiation much as they would be like on a meteorite and they've been found to survive pretty uh pretty well as well that uh, is very true a lady named no i'm sorry a um well yeah a microbiologist named lynn rothschild and uh her partner rocco mencinelli i believe that's how you pronounce that mencinelli uh they put some uh halophiles which are salt loving which you'd find in um the dead sea yeah and they can like these these buggers are survivors yeah they, b- they basically just scab over their cells yeah and um survive like that and they found that after uh two weeks on a satellite um 10 to 75 percent of these bacteria had survived not bad that's not bad so we know that bacteria can survive in space we know that it could possibly hitch a ride on a rock, and we know that plenty of rocks come from Mars. True. Uh, jumping back a little, one of the initial things they thought would be that, you know, if these asteroids, are, if these things are colliding in space, it would just disintegrate into dust, basically. Yeah. They found out that not that is not necessarily true either. Um, they found traced, uh, trace gases within meteorites that originated on Mars in the 1980s and basically figured out that if one of these impacts happens, maybe the it's disintegrated in the middle, but on the outer edges there could be like larger chunks that just get shot away. Right. So that's that's basically where these things are coming from. Okay, but think. some other people said, all right, well those ones that get shot away, they get to escape Earth's gravity or Mars's gravity. Yeah. They would have to suddenly, in a less than a second, be accelerated from zero to 11,500 miles per hour. A thousandth of a second. If you did that in a thousandth of a second. Yeah, nuts. If you did that to a human, the human would become liquefied. Of course. Okay, the, but the, the that's that doesn't necessarily hold true with bacteria. And we know this because certain microbiologists have packed bacteria into bullets and yeah. fired them and then studied the bacteria and found that they were alive still. They survived that... Um, trajectory yeah which wouldn't be that fast though it wouldn't be eleven thousand five hundred miles an hour i guess it's the fastest they could get it though right i guess okay well at least it was a good effort um oh the uh gerda hornick microbiologist in germany (laughs) she also sent uh organisms into orbit for six years not too bad in the 1980s uh bacillus uh subtilis and this is pretty wacky because not only did it survive, 
But when this thing started like depriving itself or getting deprived of nutrients, it formed like a shell, like a spore shell on top to basically protect everything underneath it. That's the one with, I thought. With nothing. That's the one I thought was scabbing over. I oh, okay. correct. That was that one. Yeah. So, you know, in the cold, dark, no water, no nothing, about 30% of these things survive. Right. That's survival. Okay. So then we have one last factor, Chuck, time. Yes. So it's not like this is a, a 10-hour or two-week trip. Like this can take a really long time for a rock to escape Mars's gravity and then basically make yeah, its way to Earth. Like millions of years, that kind of time. Can a bacteria survive that length of time? Sure. Why not? <laughs> well, in 1995, uh, some really smart people at Cal Poly isolated a living spore from the gut of a bee preserved in amber, kind of like right out of Jurassic Park. How long ago had that bee been preserved in amber? 25 to 40 million years. And the bacteria is still alive. Yes. And that is not even the most amazing one. The most amazing no? one. No, no. Uh, Russell uh, Reland of West Chester University in Pennsylvania <laughs> extracted uh, bacteria from a 250 mil- million year old salt crystal. Living bacteria. Yeah. Trapped inside liquid in that salt crystal. So I think all the questions have been answered as like, it's not probable, but it's feasible at least that these things could have taken place. So it is possible that we are, in our origin, Martians. That's right. It still raises a question, Chuck. What's that? Where did that life begin? Yeah. Jeez. (laughs) That's it. Dial it back even further, huh? That's all I got. You got anything else Uh, right now? That's all I got. So... I would recommend going to uh, HowStuffWorks.com and typing in Are We All Martians? And it will bring up this article um, on the site. You can also um, type in Origin Life Earth in the search bar, and it will bring up my article on panspermia and abiogenesis. That's right. Actually, I, there was one more thing we should have pointed out. What? We said that it can take 40, 50, 15 million years for these meteorites to, to reach Earth. We didn't point out that that's not always the case. Sometimes these things find their way to Earth in just a few years. Or a day. It doesn't always take 50 million years. Nice. Okay. Uh, Chuck. Josh. Before we go any further, we need to tell everybody to go do some reading. Toot sweet. Agreed. Our horror fiction contest. (laughs) That's right? right. Yeah. As everyone knows, every Halloween for the past couple of years, we read a horror story and Jerry jazzes it all up with, yeah. with sound design. She does good work. And uh, this year, Josh had a pretty awesome idea that sort of bit us on the behind yeah. by calling for fan submissions. Yeah. And we got a lot of them. We got 104 of them. Yep. Uh, and they had to be between 3,000 and 4,000 words. So we read between 300 and 400,000 words of these submissions. And we went through and we picked out our favorite 16. And it was tough. There was some yeah. really good stuff in there. Agreed. Um, but we came up with the sweet 16. And now it's up to you guys out there to pick which one we read for the Halloween episode. Yes. Um, we've entered the 16 into this fancy little bracket um, game, yeah. a widget on the House of Works website. Uh, it has this grossly inappropriate country music that we really? can't disable. <laughs> I, there's, there were extensive emails about whether or not we can just say we can't. We couldn't like put horror sounds or anything. No, I wanted to so bad. So it's like this really scary bracket game with like the. <laughs> it's crazy. That's weird. Anyway, um, 
there's bra- this brackets up there. First, you need to go to um, type this into your favorite search engine: blogs, how stuff works, uh, sweet sixteen here, and it'll bring up this blog post that has a link to all sixteen articles or um, entries. Yeah, we're also linking to this on our Facebook and Twitter, so you can do that too. Yeah, uh, and then you read the sixteen, and then there's a link on that same blog post that has um, the uh, the bracket game yeah. you can jump off to that and vote for your favorites and then round one a- ends this friday uh round two starts uh i think that day okay and then it keeps going and going until we come up with a winner four weeks okay and we will read that on the air it'll be awesome and i think we already have next year's picked out as well we do because we had a what we thought was the best one that was disqualified for certain reasons mm-hmm. and uh so we're just gonna clean it up and read it next year yeah. It's not a winner. No. In no way is it a winner. In fact, it lost. It, it was lost. Dis- disqualified. It was disqualified right out of the gate. <laughs> but we still liked it. Yeah, and the other 16 are really great. So it's like any of them are going to be really good. Yeah. I'm not disappointed in the least. Me neither. I'm very excited as a matter of fact. Okay, so uh, go to uh, blogs, how stuff works, um, and then Sweet 16 Horror Fiction, something like that. Yeah. And it'll bring up that post that says, like, read the Sweet 16 Horror Fiction entries here. I think there's an exclamation point. Really? Yeah. All right. That was lengthy. Yep. And then Jan- we call this another trucker emails us. Nice. We've heard from a few truckers, long-haul truckers. Yep. And I imagine podcasts are pretty great if you're sitting there with hemorrhoids. Seriously. Driving across Kansas. All right. Uh, just listen to the White Collar Crime podcast, guys. Couldn't help but think of my own experience. Uh, my last job was working the counter at a general auto repair shop. Uh, there were two of us at the counter. Both handled the phones, inventory parts, and cash drawer. Just about everything except turning wrenches. As we didn't have charge accounts with all of our part suppliers, we paid cash for some of the parts right out of the till. The parts had to be entered into the inventory as a cash transaction, and the system would spit out a piece of paper showing the transaction, and it would get filed away. Uh, a couple of weeks after the other guy quit... Um, I was now handling all the transactions and started noticing uh, some things. Every quarter, we would audit the invoices, and uh, some of the invoice numbers were repeated, uh, as well as very unusual things like a distinct Ford part number on an invoice from the local Dodge dealer. Something smells funny here. Uh, Some of them were photocopied invoices, and we didn't have the original. So we uncovered, basically, that this guy was taking legitimate parts invoices, making color photocopies, using a razor blade. He would cut out things like the invoice numbers, parts, and uh, prices, and alter another legitimate invoice by taping those numbers over the originals and photocopying. So this dude is just, like, basically manipulating these documents. Sounds like it. Very easily. Uh, Since I left the company a year ago, they have continued looking through the files, uncovering more and more forged invoices. I don't know the exact figure, but this guy stole a staggering amount of money from the business, and he's gotten away with it up until now. Does it just end there? Yeah. Weird. I don't I mean, yeah, this person doesn't work there anymore, so Justin doesn't work there. I don't know if they're pursuing this anymore. That's, I guess that's white-collar crime. Sure it is. Not, you know, it's not like stocks and bonds and things, but sure. That's white-collar crime. Yeah. Altering documents? I feel like it's... On the blue-collar side of white-collar crime. Now. Sure. In a parts store? <laughs> yeah. An auto parts store? Yeah. Maybe that's what's tripping me up. Um, if you are on the road a lot and we keep you company, we want to hear your thoughts, you can uh, tweet to us. Wait until you're parked 
uh, SYSK Podcast. You can also join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. And you can email us at StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?